Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Kettlebrook, our Sunday gathering. I uh, want to welcome you. We are, we are in a series. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We're in a series called uh, Distractions uh, this morning. We're starting a series called Distractions. And the reason we're doing this is because we believe um, now, more than ever, um, we are saturated in a culture full of distractions. Um, now more than ever, uh, we are saturated in a culture full of uh, distractions, right? Can you agree with that? Right, right now your phone's going off in your pocket and, and the video's playing over and over again. So um, the, the, one of the things that happens is that distractions keep us from the vision that God has for us. You know, because we, we may seem more connected now, we're busier than now, now more than ever, and we're more informed, well, more well-informed than maybe ever. But at the same token, what we find is that we are increasingly overwhelmed, isolated, and apathetic. This, uh, this next slide has a cartoon on it that reflects the reality of some of the impact of the distractions in our lives. We've got a couple having coffee here, and she says to him, do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? Some of you are like, ooh, it's a little close to home. Uh, so, th- right, this is what we find. Um, we're easily distracted. Sometimes I'm wondering if I'm losing my mind a little bit because I will find myself being upstairs, going downstairs to get something or to do something, and then I'll get down there and I'll be like, now what did I come down here for? Am I the only one? And I had to go back upstairs. And, and uh, I just was at Flea Farm this, this last Friday. I was running some errands, and I went there to get softener salt. And I went home with three things, and none of them were softener salt. And I was like, three days later, I was like, what? I forgot soft. That's what I went there for. They're so easily distracted. And it's not, but I, I'm realizing it's not necessarily that I'm aging and my mind is maybe changing or something. It's because I look at my son Isaac, he's six years old. And in the morning when it's time to get ready for school, what we cannot do is we cannot say, all right, Isaac, brush your teeth, get dressed, and get your backpack ready. Because when we say that, what's, what happens is that his toothbrush ends up in his backpack. Or his backpack ends up in his dresser, and at the end of the day, what we do is we walk in and find himself staring at himself in the mirror, making faces. Can you relate? Right? We're so easily distracted. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the term red herring? Have you heard of the term red herring? Now, what is a red herring? Help me out. What's a red herring? Something meant to distract you. That's right, Barry. Something meant to distract you. Uh, According to the Oxford English Dictionary, a red herring is defined as something that misleads or distracts from a relevant or an important issue. And as I was doing some research uh, for this Sunday, um, I was looking up into the red herring and and came to learn that there is actually no such thing as a fish that is a red herring, okay? What what it is, is there happens to be these things that, and I'll tell you a little bit of the story, but but so you take a fish, what happens to be a, a, a herring most of the time, and you soak it in brine, or you smoke it so that its skin ends up turning a little reddish, but the thing just reeks, absolutely reeks. So yeah, you knew this was coming. This isn't it. This is a blue stuffed fish. I wasn't going to do it to you or me. Uh, but here, here's what happened. The, the, apparently the history of the red herring is it has to do with training hunting dogs. 
So what the, the trainers would do is they would take uh, red herrings and just reek, okay? And they would, they would start to train the puppies to follow the scent of this red herring, which is easy because it's fairly rancid, okay? And so they would take it and, and mark it all throughout the forest, and they'd have to go find this red herring. Well, at the end of the day, hunters didn't want their dogs to be finding fish, okay? They, could, they found those in the, in the lake, and so that was not helpful. They were trying to train them to find foxes or whatever, and so they would, they would then take their pelts and then help, the, help them try to go, okay, here, you want to find this smell? It's a lot less potent, and so it was harder to find, but then they got trained on the, the real animals they're trying to hunt. And then what they would do to take it to the next level is they would then take red herrings, if you would, and they would drag them across the trails of the foxes or whatever to try to, to get the dogs to the next level and say they're going to really sniff these things out. And thus, we have the story of the red herring, which some of you Monty Python folks have in mind. That you would cut down the tallest tree in the forest with a herring. Anyway, some of you have no idea what I just said. That's okay. Um, so could it be, could it be that we have these red herrings dragged across the paths of our lives? Could it be that we've had these things drug across the paths of our lives, we've gotten distracted from what we are made to do and the vision that God has for us in our lives? We believe that's the case. That's why we're doing this series. And so for the next four weeks after today, we're going to continue to try to identify some of those red herrings. But we're not just going to try to identify what are the things that distract us. We're more importantly going to be reminded of the vision that God has for us and for our lives. And to do that, this morning we're going to begin by looking at a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. So I would encourage you to grab a Bible, the brown Bibles that you have there with you. We're going to be on page 852, looking at just three verses in Hebrews chapter 12. And I would strongly encourage you to pick a Bible up and follow along with me as we go through this. Now, Hebrews is, a, is an interesting book. I really, really like Hebrews. Uh, it's in the New Testament, if you would, scriptures. And what Hebrews does is it serves as this really cool bridge. Because what the Hebrews, uh, Hebrews book is doing is it's taking the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures and it's, it's bringing them and saying, look at Jesus and all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. He's been there the whole time. And so Hebrews is all about, like, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And on and on and on. And it's, it's meant to be an encouragement to those who are following Jesus in the early church who had undergone some significant persecution, were being exposed to public insult. Some of them were having their property confiscated. And they did all that with joy. Now, we're going to be in chapter 12, but right before chapter 12, we have chapter 11. And if some of you are familiar with Hebrews, chapter 11 is a long chapter, sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. And what the author does in chapter 11 is he uh, lines out like all these different Hebrew scripture people that we've heard those names before, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and goes on and says, here, these are folks who had faith in God. It went, it went on, you know, kept going, kept going through, um, you know, like, Samson and David and on and on and on. And so um, that's chapter 11. But, but after this historical na narrative of faithful people, we find these words at the end of chapter 11. So, so before we dive, dive into chapter 12, we find these words. This is right before what we're about to read. He's referring back to this narrative of all these people. He says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that brings us to chapter 12, which is what we're going to read here in just a second. Let's pray before we do that. Gracious Father, we thank you that um, 
you have a vision for us. We pray that you would help us to see it, to hear it, and to live it, and not be distracted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's referring back to chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word. See, family, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The whole book of Hebrews is trying to make that point that Jesus is better. The whole book of the Bible is making that point too, that Jesus is better. He reiterates it in, verse, in chapter 12 here because what, in, what we find is all these people of faith in chapter 11 but he continues to go on and the author says, Jesus is better than all those, if you would, because those folks, although they were faithful, Jesus is not just faithful. He is the author. He is the pioneer of the faith. He's the beginning of faith and he is the perfecter. He is the end of faith as well. Now the imagery we find here is one of a race. And a race is a great uh, kind of illustration because most of us can relate to a running race. You know, when you run, you have a starting point, you have kind of a finish line, and you want to dress appropriately when you race. Now, how many of you are going to go to a run race and wear downhill ski boots? Have you tried to walk in downhill ski boots? Not so much, right? You're not going to run in them for sure. Next week, I think there's an event I'm doing down by Dublin's where we're wearing high heels for some event. And, and, and you don't want to run in that for real, okay? It's not gonna, you want to throw off that, which hinders is, is what's going on here. and Run the race that's marked out for us. So the author says, let's throw these things that hinder us off or lay them aside. We have to get, get rid of anything that, that prohibits us from running the race that's marked out for us. Well, how do we get rid of those things? Well, we do this, okay? We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do this. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite illustrations that Andy Stanley uses, he tells this story, he says, I want you to imagine that you go to a, a running race and you show up and you say, well, hey, where's the starting line? And they say, well, that doesn't matter. And, and you say, well, how long are we running? And they're like, I don't know, however long you want. And then you say, well, where's the finish line? Like, who cares? Would you be frustrated by that? You'd be frustrated by that, wouldn't you? Someone isn't frustrated. Luke, you like that idea? Fair enough? Okay, Luke, we're going to race you later, all right? We'll, we'll see how long that goes. Sometimes, though, we live our lives like that. That's how we live our lives. We wouldn't go to a race like that, but that's how we live our lives. Why are we doing what we do? I don't know. What are you doing with your life? I, I don't know. That's how we live. It's not how we're made to live. The author here implies that there is a race we were made to run, a race that has been marked out for us, and that we are to run it with endurance by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, if you want to know uh, kind of what the vision is that God has for your life, folks, here's what it is. His vision for your life, here it is, that you would follow his son Jesus and help others to do the same. I'm not going to really make it much more complicated than that. Here's the race that has been marked out for you. I don't care who you are. 
the, the race is that you would follow his son Jesus and that you would help others to do the same. It's that simple. In fact, Jesus said, he, he didn't say, he's like, well, he, you know, this, this is the way. He said, I am the way. I am the path marked out, if you would, is Jesus what he's saying. I am the way. We we're made to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And Jesus spelled this out to his disciples after he rose from the dead and was about to ascend to heaven. He said, hey, guys, basically, he said, hey, I want you to continue to follow me and I want you to go to the ends of the earth and help others do the same. That's what he said. But then what happens, this is the vision he asked for us, but then this, this happens. Red herrings come and they get across our path and we just, we, we, we get distracted from what God has in store for us. So we have to run the race. Now, what we find in this text, we find the, the kind of the what we're to do and how we're to do it. There's a couple things I want to look at with you. But what we need to do is we need to throw off, number one, everything that hinders. And number two, we need to throw off the sin which so easily entangles. And the how we're going to do both of those is to fix our eyes on Jesus, okay? How, let me ask you, how are we going to do this, folks? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay, it's going to be the answer here. So let's look a little bit closely, more closely at these things. First, I want to talk about things that we need to throw off, the things that hinder. Now, when I'm reading through this text, um, I'm not sure there's a huge delineation between the things that hinder and sins that easily entangle, but I know practically speaking that there are, and so I want to divide them up a little bit for you because I think that there is a difference. First, we have to throw off things that hinder. Now, there are things in your life that maybe hinder you in your following Jesus that are not sins. I'll give you an example. Perhaps somewhere in your life, someone told you that you are not valuable. That is not a sin of yours, but that is something that may hinder you in following Jesus. Now, it may be a hindrance that leads you to a sin that would so easily entangle because perhaps if you've been told that you're not valued, if you want to act out on that in a way that's inappropriate, you will seek affirmation in places you shouldn't seek affirmation from, which leads to sin that will so easily entangle. But if you want to really know that you are valued, see, what, what, what's going to happen is that a, a self-help book will tell you what you need to do is if someone's told you you're not valuable, you just need to believe in yourself. You have tried that. That does not work. And the reason it doesn't work is because what you need to hear you're valued from is the one who made you. And he says you are infinitely valued and you are infinitely valuable. And he doesn't just say it, he proved it. He proved it by sending his son to die in your place. That's how valuable you are. And we have to hear those words. And the way we hear those is we fix our eyes on Jesus because we're reminded that's what he has done on our behalf. Let me give you another example um, and this one's so nuanced that I'm like, I was reluctant to even bring it up, but it's so relevant, I hear it so often. Some of you may not like your jobs. That may not be a sin. That may not be a sin that's so easily entangling you. Now, you may not like your job in such a way that it becomes a sin that easily entangles. You may become divisive at work, or you maybe cut corners, or you maybe um, would, would, would exploit your employer in certain ways. Uh, that might be the case, and then you're talking about a sin that will easily entangle you. But some of you may have jobs that, that you just don't like. You know that God uses that job to help provide for your family, but you don't like it. And it may be a hindrance to you in following the vision that God has for you, which is to follow his son and to help others do likewise. And so, so here's what I'm saying. There may be some of you who have jobs that are hindrances, and you may need to throw them off. And you're saying, Troy, did you just tell me if I don't like my job, I should quit? 
Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Some of you, some of you may need to, to quit your job. The reason that you don't is because you maybe have your eyes fixed on something else, which is a way of life that you come to, to enjoy, and you don't want to, to, to alter that at all. And so you're so afraid of, of losing income, if you would, that you will not make that change. And so something else is you got your eyes fixed on something. It's not necessarily Jesus. Some of you need to keep the job that you have. And even if it's hard for you, you need to work through that job because Jesus may have you right there to demonstrate and glorify him in the midst of a difficult situation. You're going to have to wrestle through that. But it may be a hindrance. Some of you may need to fix our eyes on Jesus in such a way that here's what we need to do. We need to trust that either if we step out in faith and we say we're going to do something different even though our income may not be the same, that God is going to provide. We're going to trust that God's going to provide. Some of you may need to stay where you are and say, you know what, I'm going to be thinking about how Jesus wants to redeem the work that I have, even though I don't always like it, and how I can start to see the people I work with as people who may not ever hear about Jesus unless I were to share. It's nuanced, I know. So, if, I mean, don't, don't take those things hook, line, and sinker. I just want you to be thinking about it. We have to throw off that which hinders. Those are just a couple examples. So what is hindering you? What is hindering you? What is getting in the way of you doing that which God has created you to do, which is to follow Jesus and help others do likewise? Second, not only do we need to throw off that which hinders, we need to throw off the sin which so easily entangles. Now, when I think about sin that so easily entangles, the one that we can most, I think, easily relate to is lying. Because lying makes a web, right? We tell a half-truth over here to someone, they catch us on it, and then we have to tell another half-truth over here to try to cover up for that, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in this giant mess just by us not telling the truth. Kind of, we, we've got entangled in these things. Last, uh, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we have a tradition at the Lather House that we always fly kites on Easter. Um, if, we, we, if there's not enough wind, we go to Lake Michigan. We'll find some wind. So um, we fly kites to, to, to remind us and our children that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we had my family down, and so we went up to the park uh, in our neighborhood there, and we had like 12 kites going, which four of them were run by little children, which you can, as imagine, you can just imagine how relaxing that was, right? This is me within the first five minutes. Um, that's the first five minutes out there. There were 12 kites going, you know, and Ephraim's just, you know, he's got his kite running across everyone else's kites. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a hoot. We lost, I think, four kites out of 12 that day. Not too bad. They're stuck in the trees. Because, again, why would you fly a kite in an open field when you could fly it next to a tree? But it wasn't just the, the trees that became the issue. Uh, one of my daughters had a kite that would do this. It, it did this loop thing and got caught in its own tail. And then when it got caught in its own tail, it would, it would just do the spiral thing, and then we'll boom. And then I get call number 38, Daddy, EMT on the kite, call over here, can you help? This is a big mess. I had to, I had to get rid of the tail. And I, I think that's, a, that's an illustration, if you would, that in the same way the sins in our lives can so easily entangle us, we get wrapped up in our own kite tails and spiral down and come crashing to the ground. We have to throw off the sins that so easily entangle us. There are things that we do in the flesh that we know we're like, we don't we go, is this, about, is this of God or not? We know it's not of God. We'll have inappropriate conversations with, with people who are not our spouses, for example. We will um, we'll tell people what they want to hear, even though it's not the truth. 
We will uh, um, think much of ourselves, take credit for things that, we're not, that should, we shouldn't be taking credit for to build up our own egos and our own pride. We will um, tell ourselves that we have worked so hard and we deserve whatever it is that's going to gratify the, the, the kind of our, our flesh, if you would, whether it's in food or it's lust or whether it's entertainment. Say, I deserve to be entertained, whatever it is. We, we will look at others and we'll judge in self-righteousness. And we get entangled when we do this. We get entangled and distracted because something has become better than Jesus in our lives. And we believe this lie that it will satisfy only in ways that he can. But here's the thing, folks. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we won't have to have those inappropriate conversations with people that aren't our spouse. You know how we do that? Because we want to be listened to and loved and affirmed. If we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will know that we are listened to, we are loved by him, we are affirmed in him. The reason we tell half-truths is because we want people to like us and be okay with us and to be accepted. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll be reminded that we already are accepted. He already knows. We can be vulnerable. And he already knows that stuff. And we can tell the truth because we are accepted in Christ. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we don't inflate our own egos and our own pride and take credit for things because we look at Jesus and we're reminded that he, who was in very nature God, humbled himself, did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. We'll be reminded of that. If we were to fix our eyes on Jesus, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be like, oh, we deserve to be gratifying our flesh because we'd look at Jesus and we'd say, oh, I'm reminded that what I deserve is death. I deserve death for the sins in my life, but what I've been given is life in him. I don't get what I deserve. I get better than I deserve in him. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we won't be self-righteous and judged because what we'll do is we'll be looking at Jesus and say, oh yes, I'm reminded that I should be judged. And I'm, I'm not judged in him because he's taken the judgment for me. What sin entangles you? What sins, or sin or sins, entangle you? Whatever it is or whatever they are, they are distracting you from the vision that God has for you, which is to follow Jesus and help others to do the same. And the only way we become entangled, folks, is how do we become entangled? What's the answer? Okay, I really feel like I'm wanting to get this. How do we become entangled? We fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author. He is the beginning of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. And he wants us to run that race marked out for us with endurance. He has modeled it. He has endured the cross where he scorned scorn, where he disgraced disgrace. Some of you are here this morning and you've been, you've been chasing red herrings your whole life. You've been chasing after these things your whole life. Either through things that have hindered you or sins that have so easily entangled you. But Jesus is saying this. He's saying this. Follow me. Just like he said to his first disciples. He says, come, follow me. The kingdom is at hand. I am the way, Jesus said He's like, I am the race that's marked out for you. Follow me. Throw off everything that, that hinders and every sin that entangles and run the race that I've marked out for you. I've went before you to run this on your behalf. Now, some of you are here and you have started the race. You've sniffed through the red herrings uh, and you found the path marked out for you in following Jesus, but you found it's not easy. 
And you found that it involves, like, the folks in this audience, that it involves maybe some persecution, some insults, or worse. But for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, and he calls us to endure as well. And he doesn't just call us to, he says, keep looking at me, and I'll help you through this. Some of you have been running for a long time, and you have grown weary. You've grown weary, and, and sometimes you want to lose heart. Because you may not see a lot of fruit. But verse 3 is such an encouragement. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We consider him. That means it's just another way of saying fix our eyes on him. We talked about, er, uh, about earlier about work, okay? Some of you are seeking to live out your faith at work. Some of you are seeking to live out your faith at school. And you are investing in people and you're not seeing a lot of fruit. People aren't noticing perhaps. And even if they notice, they don't seem to care. And so you grow weary. If that's you, I want you to remember this. There is one who has noticed you. He's the one who, who sits on the right hand of the Father and intercedes on your behalf. He is the one who has begun a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. Some of you are seeking to love a spouse who does not love Jesus. They haven't come to see that the path that he has marked out for them yet. And so you're trying to love them through it. But, you know, at, at best, they may be kind of, you know, not, they just don't know the person you love the most in your life, which is Jesus. At worst, they're antagonistic towards it. Here's what I need you to be encouraged in. First of all, Jesus is the perfect spouse. He will love you better than your spouse will ever love you, and he will love your spouse better than you ever could. And so we need to be reminded of the perfect husband in Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. We have to fix our eyes on him. Last uh, summer, we had the opportunity to run um, a, f a 5K with our three oldest children, okay? And um, this was in New Glarus. It was June 25th. It was a hot morning. And um, we, there was a race. There was a one-mile race for kids, but that's not how we roll as Lathers. Our kids, they're six and seven. They're going to run 5K. That's right, they are. And so, uh, so we all, the five of us got together in the starting line. We're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run this together. And you guys can do this. We had done some trail running with them before. And, and so we knew they could do this. And so we, we started off together. And we realized fairly quickly that the two girls who were a year older or so um, were going to be able to go a little bit faster than their brother Isaac. He got tiny legs. Okay. And so, so we're running. And I'm, like, I'm going to take the girls ahead with me. And Steph's going to stay back with, with Isaac. And so I got, the girls were, they did so great. I was so proud of them. I think I had to carry them on my back for maybe about 100 yards each. We kind of switched off. They just got really, it was really hot. And so I'm like, all right, we'll just do this for a little bit. Otherwise, we wanted to keep the legs moving, keep the legs moving. Came in just like, just about 30 minutes. I was so proud of them. But when I got across the finish line, um, I had noticed that we had a turnaround point that my wife was having a little bit of a different experience with our son Isaac. And he was pretty much bawling. Okay, yeah, and you can, yeah, you talk about counseling later. We'll figure it out, okay? So anyway... So he was not in good shape, but Steph's like, I think, you know, we can do this. So I ran back. I finished, uh, and then I quick dropped the girls off with Grandma, and then I, I ran back about a half, three-quarters of a mile to catch my wife and my son. And so when I saw him, you know, he's like, oh, I can't do it, Dad. And I'm like, you can do it. And so what I did was I would run uh, beside him, and then I'd go in front of him, and I'd run backwards in front of him. Be like, look at me, kiddo. Look at me. You can do this. We can do this. We can finish. Because I knew my son. I knew as soon as he got around that last corner and he saw that finish line that he was going to come up with some extra energy. And you know what? I'm always right. So, so like, we turned that corner, and I couldn't run, behind, I couldn't run backwards anymore because he was sprinting. It was like three-tenths of a mile extra. 
he's just like, he's going. Cause he, and we're just trying to keep up with him. And he went, and he went so fast and so focused. He was so focused looking at that finish line that he went past the finish line and kept running. We got a picture of, this is past the finish line. You can see in his face. He's like, I'm not done. I'm not done. You know, he had gotten so distracted throughout because it was hot. There wasn't, this wasn't a huge race. There was like 25 people. So there was no one to cheer for him, really. And so he just got distracted. And then he was able to fix his eyes. And I, and I was trying to help him. See, look at me. And then, and then at the end, let's look. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, folks. If we went back to chapter 11, we found that the people of faith in the Old Testament were commended for their faith, but none of them received what they had promised. God had planned something better for them. And Paul writes in the Corinthians, he says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Folks, here's the deal. Family, Jesus is what God has promised. He, Jesus is who God has promised. Jesus is the something better. Jesus is the one who by faith makes both them and us perfect in him. Jesus has gone before us. He has marked the path out for us. He is the path. That's why we have to fix our eyes on him. Because we were made to follow him and help others do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you have sent your son to remind us, to make it possible for us, to empower us for what we were made for, which is the kingdom. We thank you so much that Jesus is not just the author of, not just a, not just a faithful man. He is the author of faith. He is the perfecter of faith. He is the way. He is the path marked out for us. Father, I pray if there are those here today who have been following the red herrings, that, Lord, you would, you would speak to them. And they would say, you, I'm done on these rabbit trails. I'm done. I want to follow. And for those who have done that, Lord, I pray that you would help to encourage them. They would not grow weary or lose heart. They would fix their eyes on Jesus as well and be reminded of him who stands, who sits at the, at the right hand of, the, of you, Father, and intercedes on our behalf. May we together as a family live this out, what we were made to do, who we were made to be in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. What I want you to do is, uh, there's a slide I want to pop up here. I just want you to take a couple minutes and ask yourself some of these questions. What's hindering you? What sins are easily entangling you that you need to throw off? Just think about this for a minute. There's, they're in your bulletin as well. If you want to make a few notes, we'd love you to do that. Kind of think about the thing. How can I remind myself of the vision that God has? We'd like to be doing that in the next five weeks. How can you fix your eyes on Jesus this week? We'd encourage you to take one of the Gospels and read the words of Jesus. You're going to fix your eyes on him. Hear his words. The Gospel of John. Just take the Gospel of John this week and read it. And hear the words of Jesus. And then we'd ask you, who can join you in this? Because you were not made to do this alone. We're made to do it together as a family. So think through these things for a couple of minutes, and then we'll sing.